special, of course, to gather around the Word of God, as Pastor Darrell was saying. And we're just going to go straight to John chapter 21, so the last chapter of uh, the four Gospels. So this is a time after the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, from the dead, uh, and this is the third time he's appearing to these particular disciples. He'd had appeared to them in a room uh, after his resurrection. He appeared to them again eight days later when uh, Thomas uh, was not in there the first time and he struggled to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. So the Lord appeared to them again uh, to prove to Thomas that the, the wounds were very real and uh, that he had given his life for him, but he was now risen from the dead. And, of course, uh, Thomas was very humbled by that and he said the words, my Lord and my God, as because he realised uh, what an amazing thing the Lord had done for him and for us all. And so here is uh, a little bit further on. Uh, and we might read just, uh, well, keep your finger there, but if you go to the next uh, book, which is the book of Acts in chapter 1, uh, we're told here in verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining the kingdom of God. So Jesus, after he'd risen from the dead, was obviously uh, demonstrating and manifesting himself to them in many powerful ways uh, of his resurrection for that forty-day period. So this is uh, perhaps a, a week and a bit into that time. And we find that uh, in verse 1, after these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciple disciples. So we see here there are um, three of them actually named but there's a total of uh, seven disciples, all fishermen, uh, because uh, they'd gone back to fishing here, and uh, this is Jesus appearing to them, and it's quite remarkable what's going to unfold in the next few verses of this remarkable story. They'd gone back to fishing, as I said. They'd had caught absolutely nothing. They'd been fishing all night, and uh, Jesus uh, was uh, about to teach them what fishing was really all about. I mean, he had called them right from the very beginning. They were rugged fishermen, of course, uh, so they were very familiar with what fishing is all about. But he said, you follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That was right back in Matthew 4 when he first called them. And now he's going to really unfold a remarkable story. Uh, uh, you know, uh, just uh, the way it all unfolds here and what Jesus does uh, before them and... Uh, how he involves them and so on, is to demonstrate what this uh, being fishers of men is all about. And um, the Lord uses the situation to reveal the whole gospel message, the whole gospel age, really, the fact that uh, the gospel of grace, the gift of God, you know, was going to be uh, poured out upon his people as we, we could read on in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit was about to be poured out. The church was about to be uh, raised up. The gospel age was about to be ushered in. People were going to be saved by the power of God. 
by his grace and mercy in our life as we turn to him, as we repent, as we go through the waters of baptism. So all this was about to unfold and so Jesus uses this whole situation uh, to help them appreciate what they're going to be involved in from the beginning of the gospel age right through to the end of it, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the fact that the gospel would save people uh, by the preaching of it. Of course, he... uh, he was going to uh, tell them a little bit further on uh, in Acts chapter 1 there, you will be my witnesses onto the uttermost parts of the earth, even here in Melbourne 2,000 years later, still witnessing for the Lord, still testifying of the great gospel message that you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. So this is what uh, uh, this story is really all about. Uh, the story does use some significant numbers, as it turns out, which are important to highlight uh, the story. Uh, and uh, we're going to touch a little bit on that. This talk I've called willpower. Willpower. And, uh, but I'm not going to get onto the willpower just yet. Uh, we'll go through this story and these remarkable events that have unfolded here and what this story is really all about so that we can get an appreciation why, uh, well, there is a will uh, that is to, to, be, to, uh, to be obeyed. Um, already the Lord uh, is revealing it to seven people, seven being the number of the Holy Spirit, and we've heard a bit about that just recently from Pastor Darrell. Seven is very much the number associated with the, Spirit, uh, with the Holy Spirit, spiritual completeness or spiritual uh, perfection. They had gone back to fishing and in their efforts and in their strength had caught absolutely nothing. Let's pick up the the story here uh, in verse uh, 3. Uh, Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into the ship immediately uh, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore, and the disciples knew not it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. So the Lord says, You do it my way. You follow my directions, and it's amazing what will happen. And here we're often reminded right through uh, the New Testament in particular, do what is right, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and things will work. Uh, do what he says. Mary, at the first miracle that took place at the wedding of Cana, whatever he says, do it, obey it from the heart. And here the, uh, his disciples, uh, the seven of them, have been instructed, cast your net on the other side of the boat, on the right side of the boat, obey my command. And, of course, they drew up this great multitude of fish. And in verse 7, Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John who writes this gospel, said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter said, heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fish's coat onto him, uh, for he was naked, I guess he stripped down or whatever to do his work, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with the fishes. 
As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals therein, and fire laid thereon, and bread. Verse 10. Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which you have caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty-three. And for all there were so many, yet the net, uh, yet was not the net broken. So the Lord has revealed himself to them now. Uh, they realize this is the Lord. He's on the other shore, uh, ready for them, ready to, uh, uh, receive uh, the great catch now of these great 153 fish. The, do, the net did not break. You know, previously the Lord had said to them on another occasion about cast your net on the other side of the boat. They drew in such a multitude of fish that their nets did break. You know, but it was all uh, an amazing miracle that took place on that day. They were amazed and impressed by uh, what the Lord could do. And at his command here, they drew in, drew in this great multitude of fish. And uh, Peter realized, wow, Lord, you know, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. What, what can I do with you? You know, what have I got to do with you, really? That at your command, all this uh, remarkable stuff happens. But here, in this case, the, the net did not break. Uh, and that's significant. And the, it's a unique number of fish. And that is 153. You know, it's a, it's a remarkable number and we'd like to, uh, just touch on this number a little bit. But in verse 12 it says, Jesus said unto them, come and dine. What a wonderful invitation on the other shore now. And, uh, come and dine. Here I am, the Lord, resurrected and inviting you to bring in the great catch of 153 fish in an unbroken net and let's dine together. And none of the disciples durst ask him, uh, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh the bread and gives it, uh, giveth them uh, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after that he had risen from the dead. So uh, this is all about the work of the Lord, as we're saying. The whole gospel story is encapsulated in this, uh, in this remarkable, uh, story here. Come and dine. This wonderful invitation of the Lord. Pastor Darrell does this brilliant job of, uh, making this story alive and explaining how it's the, the whole work, uh, of the gospel message. Well, uh, you know, I'm not going to try and do all that particularly, but, uh, uh, this is from the, from the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the power they would be given to become the witnesses of God right through to the uttermost parts of the, of the world. The net really represents the gospel that will go out and uh, catch a multitude of fish. You will be fishers of men in a remarkable message, the gospel message, uh, you know, and, uh, and it won't break. It's a perfect message. It's a complete message. It's a perfect salvation. It's complete you know, it, nothing about the salvation of the Lord can possibly let you down. It can never break. And it's all the work of the Lord. I will be the one. I will give the command. I will teach you how to fish for men. It's about my gospel. It's about my word. It's about my Holy Spirit. And it's a, a, a complete number that has been caught. An exact number. 
you know, and uh, I'll, as I said, I will look briefly at the, the significance of 153 fish, but they're all brought to the heavenly shore, as it were, where the invitation is come and dine, the new age to be ushered in. We're now at the second coming of the Lord and, of course, the new age now, the, the work of the gospel being done and now come and dine with me forever and ever is the invitation of the Lord. It's the end of the gospel age at the return of the Lord. A new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness being ushered in. So all of that is encapsulated in this remarkable, vivid story. It would have been always implanted in their minds, I'm sure, of being fishermen and being involved in it. Um, in John 6, verse 39, it says, And this is my Father's will. We're starting to touch on the will of God now, which has sent me, that of all that which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up again on the last day. So God has got a significant number, a specific number, of all who wants to come to the Lord will come, and they will be sealed with the Holy Ghost, and they will be caught in the gospel net, and the net will not break, and the right number will be there on that last day. It's in, you know, God's salvation is perfect and it is complete. Uh, so we see here this specific number. All who seek salvation, all who are genuine about wanting to follow the Lord and be faithful right to the second coming of the Lord will be in this net. Not one shall be lost. That's a guarantee from the Lord. We often say, don't we, hurry up and get the last fish in because then we know the net will be pulled up onto the heavenly shore and, of course, the Lord will be returning and, of course, he'll be inviting us to come and dine with him forever. Anyone who genuinely seeks for the truth and the righteousness of the Lord, we know how the gospel works. We know if we get an opening with someone who opens themselves up to the Lord and really hungers and thirsts for salvation, for righteousness, for truth, for meaning to life, for being saved, then the gospel will set them free. The gospel will bring them to the Lord. They'll be born again of water and of the Holy Spirit and they'll be sealed into the kingdom of God. It's a perfect salvation for all those who desire salvation, all that shall be caught up in this remarkable uh, gospel net and none shall be lost. It is impossible to for the Lord to allow anyone out of his uh, everlasting love you know, it's, it's just not possible. It's complete. We're going to put up a, a couple of slides now, if we could. Can we do that, please, Josh? You got them there? Good man. Uh, and uh, only to help us to appreciate the, uh, as I said, there's a few numbers here, uh, and one number we've touched on, uh, particularly with the amount of fish in the net, 153. So we thought we'd just touch on that uh, to help us to to really appreciate this whole story. Um, and, uh, well, there's some stuff there, and here we go. Uh, it's, it does involve a little bit of Bible numerics. Uh, this is a thing we call gematria, which means uh, simply that both the Hebrew and the Greek alphabet have numerical values assigned to the various letters. And this one is the Greek, uh, sorry, this is the Hebrew alphabet which, of course, the Old Testament is written in. And you'll see there the letters, and they 
that's uh, how you say them up there, Aleph and Bet and Gimel and Dalit and so on. And they, ha- and they are the numerical values along here given to those particular letters. So when there is a, a word or a phrase and uh, we can actually assign the numerical value to, to the various letters in that phrase and then total them up and we get a numeric value. That is what this gematria thing is all about. A method of assigning a numerical value to a Hebrew name or phrase or word or even we can do the same with the Greek and the Greek alphabet. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we sum up uh, the total number of the letters and see whether there's some pattern or some significance in all of that. So that's hopefully an appreciation of how we go about it. Now, in the case of this particular number that we're looking at, 153, if we could look at the next slide. And the let... Um, <clears throat> There is a phrase in the Bible, in the Hebrew, Beni Ha Elohim. It occurs seven times. This particular phrase, these three words, Beni Ha Elohim, which means the sons of God. That's what it means. And it's, uh, it occurs seven times. Seven, as we've already mentioned, the seal or the number of the, the Holy Spirit, God's complete perfection on someone. And here, if we take that phrase, which is mentioned seven times, we assign the numerical values to the various letters, we tally them up, and there we have the total 153. So the amount of fish that are caught in the net is specific. It's 153. It is the sons of God. That's what it represents. The gospel net, which did not break, has caught the complete number of the sons of God in the gospel net and is now being hauled onto the heavenly shore where Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, is there at the end of the age to welcome them all in, of course. Uh, just an interesting little aside, there is a, a scripture in Job, in the book of Job, chapter 2, verse 1, and it refers to the sons of God but refers to another character as well. It says, Beni Elohim with Satan amongst them. All right, so, so that, that's the, the actual verse. And that has, if you total up, uh, you know, the, the, the letters in that particular phrase, it's 1989, which is 153, the sons of God, Benny Haalom, times 13. 13 being the number of the rebellious one, of course. So the sons of God with Satan amongst them, is 153 times 13. Just another little way of highlighting this significant number. And uh, we have received, the Bible says in Romans 8, the spirit of adoption. We were not the sons of God. We were not the children of the Lord. you know. But by his spirit, we are adopted into his family. And uh, the Bible says there that we can call out now, having received his spirit, the spirit of adoption, we can call out Abba Father. He is our Father now. And the Spirit bears witness with His Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our Spirit that we are the sons of God. We are the children of the living God. And all the people said, Amen. And that's what this 153 really represents. Uh, it's interesting also, as I mentioned, you can assign, uh, same to, uh, in the Greek alphabet. And we are in the New Testament. 
And here, if we look at the word fishes, for example, and we add up the the gematria of that word, it comes to 1,224, which is 8 times 153, 8 being new life, new beginning, resurrection. And, of course, this is uh, what this story is about, the new life, the resurrection power of God living in us will bring home the sons of God. And likewise the net, the gospel net, the perfect salvation message, eight times 153 also in the Greek language. So eight, new life, 153, the sons of God, the gospel net, catching the sons of God, the complete number, up into everlasting life. So, uh, in fact, uh, just while I'm on the number 153, uh, there are 153 individual people mentioned in the Scriptures who received a direct blessing from Jesus Christ uh, during his ministry. Uh, For example, uh, Malchus, when he had his ear cut off by Peter and Jesus healed him, that is one person who received a direct healing by Jesus Christ. If we could go to the ten lepers, for example, ten lepers were healed. They were cleansed by the power of God. That's ten individual people that received a direct blessing from the Lord. When he sent 70 people out to proclaim the gospel message and gave them power over all manner of things, and they came back rejoicing, saying, everything is subject unto us, Lord. You know, and uh, they were really blessed, and they, and Jesus was able to teach them, well, rejoice not just in this, but the fact that your name's written in heaven. So there were 70 people there who were blessed by the Lord as they were sent out in that way. So that's how we come up with 153 individual people mentioned in the Scriptures. Let's go... Um, oh, no, I won't worry about that. That's uh, fine with the slides. In John 10, it says this in verse 28 and 29. I'll read it out for you. And I will give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. So it's a complete gospel message. You cannot perish. You have eternal life. You're in the gospel net. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. It is impossible to be separated from the love of God as we're going to see. It's guaranteed, it's perfect, it's complete salvation. The number 153 is made up of 17 times 9. 9 times 17 makes the number 153. The number 9, often associated with the conclusion of a matter, it's the last of the digits, uh, for the number of finality, the number of final judgment. And, uh, for example, when Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. He's saying, truly, truly, or amen, amen, is the word there. And that is mentioned 99 times, a summing up of the whole message, the whole gospel message, you must be born again. Verily, verily, or amen, amen, 99 times is mentioned as this is the final Conclusion of the matter, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, and also, of course, uh, <coughs> number 17 is a prime number. It happens to be the seventh prime number. Uh, the number 13 is the sixth prime number, but the number 17 
is the seventh, and it's made up of the number ten, of course, which uh, often uh, is associated with ordinal perfection or perfect order, and the number seven, which we've mentioned already, spiritual perfection or complete spiritual uh, completeness in the spirit. So we add the two up. We have the complete order, the perfect order, and uh, the spiritual perfection as well. Perfection or spiritual order is what I've called it here. It's complete salvation. It's total. It's complete security, the number 17. And we're going to hopefully highlight that in a moment. By the way, if we were to add the numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and so on right up to the number 17, we would get the number 153. 17 is a number of complete and perfect safety and salvation and security sealed by the Holy Ghost, the number seven. Um, There are some good examples in the New Testament of how the number 17 is used. We're going to go to one of them, number uh, Romans 8, if you'd like to turn your Bibles there. Romans 8. Um, the other example is actually in um, uh, Hebrews 12, I believe it is, and uh, it's to do with the Old Testament and the New Covenant, and it talks there about the seven things of the Old Te- Covenant which we are not partakers of now, and the ten things of the New Covenant of which we are a partaker of, including the church and the sprinkling of Jesus and the you know the uh, shedding of Jesus' blood and so on, but. You can look that one up for yourself for homework. But we will look at this one in Romans 8. Uh, we're just on our way there, uh, perhaps if we just look at verse 17 because uh, the number 153 happens to be featured here again. Um, verse 17 says, um, And if children, remember the number 153 is the, the number of uh, the children or the sons of God, <clears throat> and if... Uh, and if and if children, by the spirit of adoption, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Whatever is the Lord's is ours. We've inherited all that he has given unto us. Uh, if so, be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And I love the next verses, for I reckon, whatever you're going through in this world, I reckon, says Paul, ain't worthy to be compared with what is to come. And it's good to remember that. I just love the the Aussie way of saying, well, I've summed it all up, guys. I've been through a fair bit, and I reckon nothing can be compared with the glory to come. But uh, just there in that verse 17 where it says, joint heirs with Christ, um, and uh, the the word joint heirs, again, a little phrase, uh, two words there, uh, but if we total up, the numeric value of that, we get uh, 153 times 7. 153 is featured there. The joint heirs with Christ, the sons of God, sealed by the Holy Ghost. But we'll skip on down to verse 35. And Paul again is uh, fully persuaded about this, as he says in this uh, passage. Um 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Remember, it's complete. No one can take you out of my hand. None of you will perish. Not a hair on your head will perish. And it says, uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sleep uh, for the slaughters. Nay or no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And all the people said, victorious in everything that this world and this life may throw at you. Nothing can take you away from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ that is in you by the Holy Ghost. This is, uh, these are, the list here goes on, by the way, but the, the first lot that are mentioned here are seven very powerful Things that can happen, difficulties, trials, tribulations, troubles, heartache, you know, whatever it may be. But there's seven here that are listed and here he says, you are more than conquerors in all of them. And verse 38, for I am persuaded, for I reckon, for I am fully convinced in my heart and mind. I've been through a bit, the Apostle Paul says, and I know that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is another ten that is thrown in there, a very comprehensive list of a total of 17 things that he's highlighted here. It covers absolutely everything that can happen to you. Absolutely everything that this life can throw at you. And I'm fully persuaded. The number 17, complete, total security. Not one will perish. It's a perfect gospel message and it, it will contain all of the sons of God and haul them up to the heavenly shore. And I am fully persuaded that's why I've given you this complete comprehensive list. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's writing this particular letter, 2 Corinthians 11, about a year before he wrote this. And he says, amongst many things that he says, because he's fully persuaded that nothing can separate you from the love of God. You're more than a conqueror in everything he says, five times I was whipped. I suffered 39 lashes, or 40 minus one, as they say, by the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. You know, I was stoned once. They thought I was dead. That was the aim, to stone him to death. I shipwrecked three times. I spent a night and, and a day in the deep, you know, I've been in all sorts of perils and troubles and difficulties in my life. You know, perils and dangers from robbers and heathen and countrymen and, you know, on journeys, whether it be in the city or in the sea or uh, out in the country, wherever I've been, there's always been trouble, persecution, perils, dangers afflicting my life. He says, I've been in perils even amongst false brethren. How about that? 
You know, I've been often in suffering and in pain. I've been weary and I've been hungry and I've been naked and I've suffered many things. I've been thirsty, I've been cold. You know, Paul, been through a bit. When he says, I'm fully persuaded, he means it. He's experienced it firsthand. In Damascus, he says in uh, this uh, letter to the Corinthian church, I escaped. The king was after me. He sent the governor after me and they lowered me through the wall in a basket that I may escape, you know, more than conquerors through everything. That's where the message is trying to get through. It's a comprehensive list. 17 things are listed here. You know, 9 times 17, 153. Perfect salvation for the sons of God. None will perish. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. There's only one thing that's not mentioned, and that's yourself. You know, this is about love. He says here, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can. The gospel is complete. You know, you are more than conquerors. There's no way that his salvation will fail. It's a perfect, complete number here. Um, I remember coming to the Lord and I was about a month in the Lord. I was pretty excited. I was thrilled by what had happened and I was at about my third or fourth uh, house meeting or something like that and I overheard a brother say to another brother, oh, Joe Blow is not coming anymore. <laughs> I just happened to overhear that bit. And I, in all my wisdom and all my knowledge, I was a month in the Lord, I said, that's impossible. And uh, this brother looked at me, it happened to be Pastor Greg Frost, uh, who, uh, and um, he, uh, he had to sit me down and sort of explain a few things about the parable of the sower and the seed that uh, people do fall away and so on and so on. And, uh, but I was right, really. It's impossible to be separated from the love of God unless yourself gets in the way, obviously. So we have this wonderful thing to be able to exercise our free will, you know. How else can love work? How else can you choose to love the Lord with all your heart, strength, mind and soul unless he give you the free will to choose to do so? And that's what's not mentioned here. What goes on up here? The choices you make, the will that you have, the, de- the, de- the, ch- the decisions that you make of what you will do with your life. That's what's not listed. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's true. It's impossible to fall away except for what goes on here, where you make your choices and your decisions. In John 10, verse 17 and 18, it says, the Lord says this about his free will. He says, therefore does my father love him, love me. Of course, he's talking about love and how love is expressed. He said, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one is taking my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up. That's willpower to submit to the will of the Father. That was, that was the pivotal moment in the whole message of salvation that the Son of God could say, not my will, but your will be done. I have power 
to do whatever I want. I can call 12 legions of angels now and they would deliver me. That's what he said when they took him and they were cutting off ears and, and you know, he said, look, put the sword away. You know, this is what I, I came to do. So allow me to do the will of my father. Let me do what pleases my father. And that's what he did. And of course, he had the power. He had the choice. And that's what he chose to do. That's free will. It's exercising that free will. No one will have to face what he had to face. But that's what he chose to do. I'm determined to fulfill my Father's will. And that is love in a nutshell. And all the people said. So it's all about what we do. Whether we have the willpower to submit to the will of God. It is God's will that you be saved. It is God's will that you hear the words, come and dine and live with me forever and ever. A billion years from now, you'll still be rejoicing in the Lord. Fantastic. You know, so uh, nothing can separate you from my love, the Lord is saying. So uh, what are you going to do? You know, when the Lord put out the Holy Ghost and he set up the church, the very same day that God poured out the Holy Spirit, he set up the church, the body of Jesus Christ. And you know what? The church is complete. It lacks for nothing. It is the complete uh, way of salvation. Nothing is missing. He gave apostles. He gave oversight. He gave the teaching of his word. He gave evangelism. He gave the gifts of the Spirit. He gave the fruits of the Spirit. He gave fellowship, joy, and uh, uh, he gave the communion, of course. They all did this right from the get-go. All the ingredients, all the vital elements for the church to function, uh, they prayed, they saw miracles, they, they had all things in common, they helped one another, they, they uh, made sure they were united and of one mind and of one accord. They let nothing divide them. They praised the Lord. They saw increase. They saw revival. They saw the blessing of the Lord. All of this happened the same day that the Holy Spirit was poured out. Why? Because the church is complete and is perfect and everything that happens in the church is essential and we have to be a partaker of it all. That's the will. You've got to be willing to partake of it all, not just uh, accept what you like and uh, turn away from what you don't like. When God gave us the armour, it's complete. There's nothing missing. Everything's complete. You can put on the whole armour of God and you can resist uh, spiritual wickedness in high places. The wiles of the devil can come against you. In fact, uh, when Jesus said, when I raise up my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it because it's complete and strong and nothing can separate us from the love of God. The armour of God is complete. Everything is there, truth and faith, the sword uh, 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 of the Spirit, the Word of God, the gospel of peace, salvation, you know, righteousness, it's all there. And the Holy Ghost bringing it all together, praying always in the Holy Ghost to make it all work, to give it life, to give it strength, to make sure it all works together. There's not one chink in the armour of God. It will resist. You can hold up the shield of faith and say, I believe Jesus Christ and it will quench the fiery darts of the wicked. You can use the sword of the Spirit, the offensive weapon, and say, well, you know, whether it's uh, 
principalities or angels come against me, I can just, well, even if an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you, you can cut it down. Let it be a curse. Let it be cut off. Who would want to be called Moroni anyway? You know, if I was an angel, I certainly wouldn't choose that name. Anyway, but you've got to put it on. You've got to be fully involved in the church and you've got to put on the whole armour of God. You know, it's complete, it's total, but you've got to put it on. You know, um, I'm fast running out of time here, so <clears throat> you've got to submit to the will of the Father, obviously. You know, uh, Jesus, uh, in, in the uh, book of Hebrew, uh, Thessalonians, uh, there's a little phrase there that says, and this is the will of God concerning you, that everything you sh- in everything you should give thanks. Now, it's a pretty simple statement, but it's right. You know, we, and we, we should. We should be able to move into the beauty of his holiness, as, as the Bible puts it. You know, really get in close to the Lord in praise and in worship and in thanksgiving, in using the power of the Holy Spirit, drawing close to the Lord. And, of course, uh, it's right that the will of God should be that we would extol his praises, that we would worship, that we would praise him, that we would thank him forever. Praise the Lord. You know, and that's what the Holy Spirit will do. Mahatma Gandhi, who is uh, renowned for, well, his cause or whatever, but he uh, he says, strength does not come from physical capacity. It comes from an indomitable spirit, a will. In other words, a, a will that refuses to give up, a will that will not be conquered. I will not allow anything that goes on up here to separate me from the love of God. It's got to be relentless uh, desire and will to say, I will submit to my Father's will. That's what will make you more than a conqueror. That's what will keep you perfectly safe. That's what will make sure you'll never be separated from the love of God. It's that willpower. It's that determination. It's that purpose. It's that drive. It's that desire. God has a will concerning all of us. He expresses his will constantly throughout the pages of the Bible of how we should be, of how we should react, of how we should behave, of how we should conduct ourselves how we should treat one another. You know, um, God has, uh, I guess, declared and chosen, desired his purpose and his good pleasure, his will amongst his people. And we ought to know what that will is and submit onto it wholeheartedly. You know, if we just take brethren, just as a, a quick uh, example in a few minutes, um, you know, Jesus teaches some amazing things. And the good thing is that we can constantly look at ourselves, especially at a time of communion, and we can look at the will of God and we can line ourselves up with that perfect will. We can make a determined change if necessary, whether it be a change in attitude or a change of heart or physically have to do something to fix something up. We can do that. You know, Jesus teaches a lot of things and and, and when and how we are towards brethren is a wonderful reflection of how well we're going in the Lord. You know, ought against any, he says, you better get it fixed up. You better be reconciled. You better not continue to have ought against any. Don't even come to me with your offering and your gift, 
Go and be reconciled first to your brother and then I'll be able to receive your gift and your offering. Don't be angry without a cause. Be reconciled. The ability to forgive any trespass, dealing with anger, dealing with any bitterness or envy is all there. And we're often encouraged. You know, there's always uh, passages of Scripture that says, be like this, don't do that, do this, treat this. Treat your brethren this way. Get the beam out of your own eye before you find fault and the mote in your brother's eye. You know, it's just a great reflection of making sure. Let's go to Romans 12 while I'm on that particular line of thinking. Romans 12, uh, verse 10. Be like this. Here is one of those phrases, uh, one of those verses. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honour preferring one another. And all the people said, that's God's will. He has a will on how his people should conduct themselves towards one another. Kind, tender-hearted, forgiving are other uh, remarkable um, statements of God's will towards us. You know, in Ephesians 4 we can read about those things. Uh, in uh, verse 9, let love, this is the beginning of verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Again, it's talking about love. Let it be genuine. Let it be from the heart. Let it be sincere. Let it be without partiality. Don't treat one different to another. Don't have uh, favourites and all this sort of stuff. You know, this is, uh, this is the will of God. Does our will line up with the will of God? You know, Paul's desire for his brethren should be our desire. He wanted to be enriched in the Lord. In every utterance, in every knowledge of the Lord, he wanted them to grow. He wanted to do whatever he could to make sure that they were there when Jesus Christ returns, that they were edified and built up in the love of God. That was his, his purpose. He said, this is the crown of rejoicing. This is what life's all about. This is the pinnacle of life, to do whatever we can to help one another be there on that great day when you hear, come and dine. Praise the Lord. You know, he wanted them to come behind in no gift. He wanted them to be blessed in every possible way that the, the Holy Ghost could bless them. You know, that's what's got to be in here. Love without dissimulation, sincere and genuine and true and being practiced in the church. You know, Peter says, you've obeyed the truth. You know, you've obeyed the truth, you've sanctified yourself, you've set yourself apart in obedience to the truth of God's word onto the unfeigned love of the brethren. No pretense in this love. The unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. That is God's will. Let it be our will, all the people said. Let the Holy Ghost dominate. This is the way you want to be towards your brethren. As I said, there's constant realignment and constant re reassessment and examination and spending time on your knees and praying these verses in. But hallelujah, you know, we can uh, really do it. We'll just finish here in First Peter chapter uh, 3, if we could go there. There are many things about love and how it's put into practice. You know, it's not rude. It's good-mannered to all. It's not puffed up, snobby or anything like that. It's not partial, you know, as I mentioned before. It doesn't put 
others down, just tries to encourage them in the Lord. Yes, sometimes there's direction, hallelujah for that. All because there is love being put into uh, practice. You know, there's, so there's a lot of good things in the church and we need to obviously submit to the will of the Father how we are concerning our brethren. It is God's will. 153, the sons of God. Nine times, finality, completeness there, times 17, complete security and salvation. Nothing can separate us from that, from the love of the Lord. You know, 17, powers, events, disasters, challenges, troubles, difficulties, tribulations, whatever you want to uh, put on them, all listed there, nothing can pluck you out of his hand. So we really have no right not to submit to the will of the Father. It's our greatest challenge, as I was saying out in the West on Thursday night, the greatest challenge for us all is because this is at enmity with God. You know, it's, it, it, the natural mind is at enmity with God. So we've got to put the Holy Ghost in, you know, and we've got to rise to meet the challenge. Uh, it's got to be a, a, a determined will, not my will, but your will be done. That's the challenge. Jesus said in Luke 12, fear not, little flock. He said, it is your father's good pleasure, it is your father's good will to give you the kingdom. We're drawing to a close. The gospel age is about to end. The new age is about to come. Jesus is about to return. We want to be ready. Come and go.